Hi, I'm Joe. And I'm Matt. We're the NC Wine Guys. Welcome to our fourth episode of Cork Talk. In this episode, we visit Silver Fork Winery in Morganton, North Carolina. Joining us in the conversation are co-owners Jennifer Fluides and Ed Wisniewski. Jennifer and Ed left the big city life to move south and take over the care of what was then South Mountain Vineyard. Silver Fork has and will always be a special place for us, so we were glad to sit down with Jennifer and Ed to catch up about Silver Fork's place in the local wine industry. So sit back, pour a glass, and listen. We're here with Jennifer and Ed of Silver Fork Winery. Jen, Ed, thank you very much for being here on Cork Talk with us. Thanks for having us. So we usually start off our episodes by having folks introduce themselves a little bit, talking a little bit about, you know, where, why they decided to go into the wine industry, have a vineyard, a winery. So you guys do that for us today. My name is Jennifer Lindis, originally from New York and New Jersey. I was in corporate America for several years in sales, covering J.P. Morgan, traveling all over the world. Uh, and we were done. We were reaching our limit and needed a change. Uh, I did meet Ed at the same time, and as we were talking, we were on the same page as that we wanted to leave and, and reinvent our life, find something more authentic. So I quit. He left, and we took probably about a year and a half off, soul-searching, if you will. Didn't know what we wanted to be when we grew up. And we'd gone to the North Fork of Long Island, and we were sitting out in one of the vineyards, two bottles of Verbergstraminer in. <laughs> so I blamed Verbergstraminer. <laughs> but we were sitting on the chair of Mike, this looks easy, come on, we can do this. So that was one of the ideas, the vineyard. And then we thought about a bed and breakfast and then also a doggy daycare. So when we left, we actually uh, went on the East Coast road trip to see where we were going to live. Because we knew we were definitely going to leave the Tri-State area. It's way too expensive, cost of living, taxes, and everything else. So we went down the coast, we went to Virginia Beach, Charleston, uh, Savannah, down to Florida, and wanted to see the Billmore on the way back and discovered Asheville which we absolutely fell in love with. So it came down to find a place to rent. And at that time, it was January, um, Ed had seen on landandfarm.com this property. So there was no pictures. Uh, it just said 32 acres, house, fines. So we made an appointment with Larry, Larry Keogh, previous owner. And as soon as we drove up that driveway, saw the vines and the view, it was January, it was pretty bleak, so it wasn't green, but it was right. still absolutely stunning. We, we knew instantly, really. So we apprenticed with Larry. We were not farmers, and we knew kind of the overall process of winemaking, had friends in the business, but we were not farmers. Uh, so this was a huge, big leap of faith. And we apprenticed with Larry that year, and then took over the following year. So here we are. So I can't say that we've always dreamt of having a vineyard. I think it was more we dreamt of having an authentic, beautiful life than something that was our own. So it's a pretty big jump to just kind of like quit your day job and then take yes. some time off. What was going through your mind at the time when you said that? Like, I'm just going to stop. We actually just went through this the other day because we were talking about the timeline. And we made some very huge life decisions and pivots in a very short amount of time. And I'm like, that's how 
we did this really crazy. <laughs> but it didn't seem crazy at the time. I guess when you're supposed to be where you're supposed to be, things just kind of fall into place. So it sounds crazy when you repeat it and talk about it out loud, but we didn't really feel that way as it was happening, you know, as it was happening. And we had Larry, I mean, it's, I'm not saying by any means it's just landed here, it's a lot of hard work, but it didn't feel like it was a huge change, I guess. Maybe because we wanted it so badly. Yeah. And I think in some ways you also kind of, uh, not necessarily lucked out, but made the right decision when yeah. already going with an established vineyard. We would never have actually done it if we didn't have Larry. Okay, so that's kind of one of your we guiding would not, principles. Yeah, I mean, and we didn't know that at the time. Obviously, having met him, we spent almost five hours with him that day when we first met him. And he, obviously, we apprenticed it under him, but he still comes out and he started as a mentor, but now he's more of a grandfather. <laughs> and he's just really an extension of this, of this whole place. We wouldn't, we wouldn't have done it without him. So talk about when Larry planted the vines here and what was planted originally. Yeah, so when we first showed up to the vineyard, you're obviously not knowing what to expect, right? I mean, you do some homework around, you know, what you know, the slope should be, what the elevation should be, the climate in the area, the soil conditions. And, you know, again, being total novices and just Googling things on, on, <laughs> on, on web pages, the closest we got to doing any kind of research. Uh, but when we did come here, you know, Larry gave us quite a bit of background on his past. You know, he was one of the first uh, presidents of the North Carolina Wine Growers Association. He was very passionate about planting vinifera. He was told by many of the stuff, I'll call it the educational facilities like NC State and App State that they would never grow here. Mm. He kept being told to grow muscadine. Uh, he refused to believe that. And he planted you know, some of the early vines, which we still have here, and the Cabernet Sauvignon and the Merlot and some of the Chardonnay uh, in 1991. Oh, wow. Right. So, you know, I don't know the exact date, but, you know, compared to some of the other vineyards, they're probably some of the oldest in the state, per se. Yeah, absolutely. And when we, when we arrived, um, as Jen said, spent a lot of time, did a walkthrough. Most of the stuff he was talking about, we had no idea what he was talking about, but he was very <laughs> helpful. I couldn't even remember. There's only four sections. We only have six that. Acres otherwise, but we're walking through. I'm like, where was section one again? Was it down there? <laughs> yeah, it was but, really. But the, but the early ones were, uh, you know, like I said, Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Petit Verdot. He had Tariga. He had uh, yeah, Syrah. He had he had a bunch of varietals. Some that were working well for him, and some were not. Mm -hmm. And he had made some recommendations on us. You know what we should probably not stick with because they weren't trending in the right direction. Okay. Yeah. He went through a lot of trial and error, which we didn't have to do. So we were lucky in that, that we had someone that had that background. So the spacing, the trellising, the, the clones, the different varietals, because each one of these sections is a whole different soil chemistry. So mm -hmm. we kind of went through a lot of, of that. So we were lucky in that we didn't have to go through that learning curve. And we, we probably had a, very close to three acres at the time planted. Okay. Now we're nearing seven, uh, and we'll be planting several hundred this year again. Um, but the way things have been going for us in this six plus years, um, some of the varietals are not doing as well. And, you know, in our conversation with a lot of our peers in, in the industry, they're having similar problems with some of the varietals. Uh, we are going to expand more, uh, more hybrids, uh, continue with Chamberson. It's one of our favorite reds. Um, we've also introduced two years ago a Traminette. So but, but that will be another one we'll be increasing yeah. our number planted yeah. this year as well. So if you look at section one, I'm pointing, but hopefully for the listeners, I'll know where section one is. Um, but the first plant of reds were 91. Okay. And the Chardonnay in 92. So he cleared this land. 
Some uh, vineyards had cattle on there or tobacco. These were just, it was just wooded. Okay, so just woods. So he had actually cleared it. We have early pictures of that. This section right here was also wooded. And that's right behind the tasting room. Yeah. Um, Chardonnay, because of the slope, and these are baby vines, they, the ground started eroding. Uh, so talked to some of the farmers, and they said rocks, but put buckwheat and sunflowers in there to seed the ground. Mm -hmm. So early pictures, you see these baby Chardonnay with <laughs> tall sunflowers. So a lot of things like tricks of the trade that farmers have been doing for centuries. Uh, that we kind of got the history of what was going on. Yeah. And so some of the key things that, you know, like I said, through some minor research was the slope, uh, the, the type of soil, you know, the temperature, the elevation. You know, we had done some soil tests, um, and everything seemed to be just about right. And Larry conditioned that soil for se several years to get it to a point right. where, you know, everything was growing yeah. well, and even the new vines we had first put in were very successful with that as well. Yeah. And they're all different, like I was saying. We have a little bit more clay in certain sections, a little bit more silica in others. Uh, the Chardonnay down the hill is a little bit more rocky. So they're all completely different, even in this very hmm. small area. So does that um, add to differences in when you might harvest a certain row or a certain section? No, not so much. I think um, well, it's more that's all weather dependent. Yeah. <laughs> To but, be honest, but it's, that's more yeah, but it's all around the varietal types, right? Yeah. Right. You have your early blooming Chardonnay and Merlots. You know, at, at the end of the chain, it's usually Cabernet Sauvignon. So the good thing for us is you don't get hit with the whole vineyard, as most people know, at the first shot. Right. So it's spread out over, you know, a six or eight-week period, which makes it a lot easier on the labor and, and us doing it. Yeah. Um, you know, the biggest thing that we're looking at now are looking at some more late bloomers because, you know, unfortunately... The way the weather has been trending over the last five years, we've had two years where we were very hard with a, a frost and a freeze, mm -hmm. uh, specifically in the Chardonnay. Right. Yeah. Chardonnay and Merlot has been very challenging yeah. the last several years. So it's not so much the harvest. Even right. if it was harvested all at once, at least that's a good thing. We have <laughs> it's the early spring when they come out. But so Chardonnay and Merlot have been challenging. Yeah, it's not always beneficial to be an early bloomer. No. No. <laughs> Yeah, late, late bloomers. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And more um, cold party. So even if, you know, Chamberson hybrids, and you see a lot of um, North Carolina vineyards planting them, uh, because we are getting milder winters and we always get that late spring frost, something a little cold hardy, so even if it does hit and it's budded, it's not going to completely wipe it out. This past year, I mean, it, the freeze wiped out both the primaries and the second. So now, Ed, you were going through some of the varietals that were already here when you had uh, purchased the land and purchased the vineyard. What were some of the things that you added to it since then, based off of Larry's recommendations yeah. and your own trials? And Jen, you can pitch in too. Just... Yeah, well, we, we definitely increased Petit Verdot, because Petit Verdot is definitely a, a good blender with all of our reds. Um, we continue to increase Petit Verdot because even if we wanted to go out and source some more grapes from some of the other vineyards, you know, it's one of the ones that's always at least available in many places. So we'll continue to uh, put uh, more plantings of Petit Verdot. Uh, we did the Chamberson, we probably quadruple our, our Chamberson okay. uh, plantings and we'll be doing even more this year just because of, you know, it's doing well, you know, selling it in, in our in the tasting room. Um, Traminette was another one. And then uh, Malbec. So we also planted the Malbec. Okay. We have one row of Malbec and that was an experiment, but it's actually doing very well. Oh, good. So, yeah. 
So what are your plans for the Malbec? Is it mostly going to be blending or is it going to it's be single? It's going to be blending. Yeah. We won't have an opportunity to do a single varietal, but, but definitely blending. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. So do you find because of the challenging weather that we have here that sometimes it's just best to blend reds and not, not necessarily make a Absolutely. straight varietal? Because the blend, I mean, it gives you the ability to be consistent year over year. I mean, that's why Petit Verdot is so great for us. One, because it's got the body, the structure, and the color, and yes, the tannins. Yeah, yes. I mean, it really is like liquid gold. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, we usually will talk with Petit Prudhoe to the barrels to give some. But yeah, I mean, the blending is really, um, it's a perfect tool to get consistency year over year. Because some years, I mean, depending on the rain, I mean, you're not going to get the color, especially right. with Chamberson and Cap Franc. Mm -hmm. um, your acidities are off, but I would say color and acidity are the two biggest challenges to have consistent, especially in this kind of weather. Mm -hmm. the, the other thing, too, is, you know, you constantly look at your menu, right? I mean, sometimes right. menus are up to 22 different varietals, and we try to limit it. Um, I think our peak is always was around nine. I'd like to see it even shrunk even further. Mm -hmm. So it's not the it's not the you know the quantity. I rather right. the quality. Right. To exactly. the point of the blends, yes. I'd rather have a couple good blends than have you know six different right. individual varietals that right. are okay. At any given time, though, um, and especially during the winter, seven to eight we normally have on the menu. Uh, when we have a full stock, when we get nonsense back and things like that, we'll be at nine. So you talked a little bit about some of the the issues with you know North Carolina in general. The weather is not always cooperative. What are some of the best things you like about this site? From a personal level, uh, the location, right? I mean, you know, from a personal level, we're close to the mountains. We've got a beautiful Lake James here mm -hmm. within two miles. Um, you know, the outdoor sports, uh, everything that goes with it. I think from the site per se, I think, you know, we're not as cold as Asheville, mm -hmm. and we're obviously not as warm as Charlotte. So okay. I think we're on that, I'll call it the I-40, I-77 corridor, okay. uh, where it's particularly great to grow you know, we are in a particular but, valley in here. I mean, even when there are storms all around us, mm -hmm. it I don't know where exactly in this little plane we either get hit or we get bypassed altogether. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, so I don't know with, with the lake, with the mountains, the South Mountains and the Blue Ridge, we're kind of nestled in this, in this valley. So that has always been, it's more temperate. But the most important thing, too, aside from the personal and the climate is the, you know, we are in a, an area where Asheville continues to grow. Mm -hmm. You know, I think right now we're in a, a position where we're probably having 80% new customers every year with you know, two, you know, excellent volume of tourism going to Asheville. Okay. And we're only two miles off the interstate, which makes us conducive yeah. to travelers. When we drive around and go to their wineries, sometimes when you can off the exit, you're 15, 20 minutes yeah, to right. reach the actual winery. Here, I mean, we are, we are actually very lucky. It's literally 2.2 miles off the exit, so we are getting a lot of traffic Yes. from that. And how far are you from Asheville? About 45 minutes. Okay. Well, it's not too bad. It's a quick little trip out. You can come out if here. If you it. it's 55 minutes. <laughs> 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 so it's two and a half. Well, it's I can get there in 42 down. minutes. <laughs> Especially if you're coming, down, coming back. Right. Down, kind of <laughs> I haven't had stopped yet. <laughs> We talked a little bit about timeline, but when did the tasting room officially open to customers? April 6, 2013. Wow, oh, okay. So it will be our six year anniversary. I cannot believe it. Six years. Time flies, doesn't it? I know. 
what, what do you think is the biggest change during that time? I guess, uh, you know, with not having forward thinking, you know, everything we built here, we kind of undersized, unfortunately. Because, <laughs> you don't, you know, when you build something new business, you really don't know what the expectations are. Right. Are they going to come? Am I going to make it too big and spend a lot of money? Our growth has been tremendous every year. We're even looking at, you know, our, our overall production volumes and, you know, how do we expand in that? Meaning, you know, planning on a new winery. It's extremely important for us. Uh, additional parking. So how do you how do you you know face you know the investment of increasing your overall you know capital purchases? So that's what we try to plan every year. Okay, that's what we've been doing. Every and now you have made some major improvements here in the six years that you've kind of been open and for business. Do you want to talk a little bit about some of those? Yeah, it feels like we're expanding and doing a major project almost every year. So tasting was 2016. Uh, about three years later uh, is when we started to break ground. Almost four years of the pavilion, mm -hmm. the event pavilion for weddings, which you guys <laughs> all know. Because uh, when we were doing weddings here, we had to close on a Saturday. Mm -hmm. It was our busiest day here in the tasting room. The bride was getting ready in our house, the caterer was in the kitchen. I mean, we were tremendous amount of work, so we needed a separate space. So we built that. It's now been almost two and a half years. So that's been a huge addition to our business, uh, which has been good. Mm -hmm. So now we could be still open here in the tasting room and have an event down the hill. So the next big project for us this year will be to extend just uh, the pavilion overhang, but the biggest one is to expand the winery. So when we first got here, that was just a roof and two sides. We closed it in, concreted the floor, and it's been, it served us well. What is it, like 800 square feet? <laughs> wow. It's tiny, I feel like, <laughs> like I'm in a tiny house. But that's going to be the next big thing. We are going to expand the winery, like 2,400 square feet, everything in one place. Nice. So, yeah, we're going to clear some trees back there. Because, I mean, that whole eight acres is, is ours, too. We're not clearing the whole eight acres. Uh, but we'll clear some more land, and the winery hopefully will be uh, mid-year. Good. Well, it's yeah. exciting. Yeah. Do you have plans to do tours of the winery? Sure. Or barrel tasting? Yeah, because right now, I mean, it's not... Yeah. It's so packed. I mean, I would love to give tours, but it's just not really conducive for us to do. Yeah. Um, so, yes, as soon as it is fully functioning, I will probably be in there. I'll probably sleep in there. That's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> wow. wow. <laughs> well, he has the garage. Well, that's fine. It's a spacious garage. It is. You can sleep on his Harley. <laughs> <laughs> so how would you describe your style of wine? Uh, dry Bordeaux style. From a winemaking style, I, I, we make everything dry. And for me, I think it's just the best expression of the fruit. There's another, I mean, that's, it's cleaner to me. Um, yeah, it's just really getting the best expression of the, of the fruit. And I know a lot of people are asking me to make a sweet wine. We might look maybe to do kind of an off-dry uh, blend, potentially, with Traminan and Chardonnay, but we still dry to, you know, dry Bordeaux varietal, I just, I just think is... Imagine you are the winemaker. Yes, okay. I'm the winemaker. So you pretty much, you and Ed have kind of like the, the primary say yes. of what type of wines you want to yeah, make, absolutely. and of course what customer base says, too. Yeah, absolutely. So is that, you said it's the best expression of the fruit, kind of the drier side, is that the style you prefer to make? Yes. Okay. And do you favor red or white? Right or now, rose. I'm rose. Okay. 
So it's in between. It is, yeah. It's the best of both worlds. Uh, yeah, I'm my go-to right now. I haven't just a dry rosé. Okay. Yeah. It goes with anything. It really does, dangerously. Yeah. Single-handedly have drank our profits and rosé. Oh, no. No, I'm just well, kidding. Well, it's become extremely popular everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Right, so it's... Yeah. Uh, it doesn't seem to be going anywhere. No, it's I think it's like, only going up. That's right. Absolutely not. But the Chardonnay, um, Chardonnay Reserve, like even... Like an oak, I, I don't prefer anymore. I just think, you know, my tastes have changed. Uh, if anything, like heavier reds, I haven't, like, uh, unless I'm eating like a, a big steak, mm -hmm. but I tend to like chambers and Pinot Noir or dry rose. Well, not, so. so, how, what's your typical aging for the red wines? Right now, we're, we have the luxury that we have aged, been able to age longer. Uh, I would say 12 to 18 months. The Chamberson 12 months and Cabernet Franc, Cabernet Sauvignon. That actual Cab Cabernet Sauvignon that's coming out is 2015. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. And what types of oak do you typically use? We have a combination of French, American, and Hungarian. Okay. Yeah. Do you have a particular favorite of, of those three? I would love to use more French, so it's pricier. Right. <laughs> I like American, but sparingly, because it, it definitely is overpowering. Right, right. I we did this last Chardonnay Reserve in American, and I can definitely pick up. It was new American. Oh, wow. Okay. New American oak. So me as a winemaker, I'm like, <laughs> thinking back, I'm like, I shouldn't have left it in there that long. But it is what it is. But um, yeah, because American's harsh. Mm -hmm. No, I don't want to say harsh. So it's overpowering. Yeah, there's definitely a big presence yeah. with that. So. You can see why they use for, for reds, but um, more French by a Okay. Unlimited. <laughs> <laughs> So you have one wine out that you call Fournog Red. How did it come to get that name? And talk, talk to us a little bit about that. So when we relocated to Morganton, where we are today, we had four dogs. Okay. Um, and we, we were meeting with some people before we even started thinking about labels and names and all that good stuff. And several people in the business had never used animals or dogs or whatever the case is. So yeah, us being... Yeah, he said it cheapened the brand. Yeah, oh, you know... So and, they were throwing out like these fancy French names and all this stuff. It just didn't seem that that was us. And, you know, we are big pet lovers. Mm -hmm. and we're part of an animal rescue here in Morganton. And now we're up to uh, six dogs. So oh it shows gosh. that, you know, we passed the four dogs. But we're not going to change the name because yeah, two, of, two of those four have passed. And, you know, they're, they've been with us. They were in our hearts at the time. And we picked it and we thought it was fun. So okay. to see them run around, having been in New York in an apartment with three of them, but to see them finally running around was just beautiful. I would have more. Mm -hmm. uh, I was like, well, now a little pack. But on the back of the four dog label are the first four pups, their profiles. Oh, and, it, and it is, it turned out, to, it is our bestseller. Oh, nice. Over the last several years. And it's a blend of Cabernet Sauvignon Merlot, Petit Verdot, and Cabernet Franc. Yeah. And a portion of the, uh, the sales go to Avalon, better life than a rescue. So it's a win-win. Very cool. And so people kind of bought the... Oh, really? Cool. I didn't mean to put you out. I'm like, they kind of botched the name. We're like, can we get that three-dog night? I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, no. <laughs> I was going to say, so anyone who watches your Facebook or your Instagram knows that you just randomly have dogs appear here. They do. We saw and one on the way in, so we figured it would be That's Tony. So. He's, He's a neighbor's dog. He comes in the morning to see our dogs for coffee. Um, <laughs> and he goes back. Uh, he's very sweet. I'm surprised he... So I've not gotten a herd crossing this road. But yeah, um, if dogs arrive, I have kept a few. 
but usually uh, we'll adopt them. Adopt them out. Nice. Kind of some of that little embracing your inner animal lover. You had talked about maybe doing some sort of dog sanctuary at some yeah. point in time. So I think we have a dog silver, sanctuary. Right? <laughs> I think you do. Silver linings <laughs> is, my, is my goal. We still have 11 acres between the two creeks. is more than enough property. But I like a doggy daycare or kind of dog sanctuary for That'd be cool. all their pets. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of switching su switching subject a little bit, but you did make, you mentioned the creeks. Mm -hmm. So talk about the significance of the creeks, what the creeks are, and how they come into play with the name of, of Silver Fork. Well, we had well Larry, the previous owner, it was called South Mountain Vineyard because mm -hmm. we based in South Mountains. Uh, obviously, we were changing the name. And when we went through the ABC permitting, the state and federal require a survey of the land. So where you're making the wine, where you're selling it, storing the wine, where you're selling it. So as we were looking at the survey, we saw how the two creeks on the property came together, Silver Creek and White Fork Creek. And they actually came together in the shape of the logo. Because we were looking at, um, with our web designer, forks, like utensil forks, <laughs> and it would look too kitschy, it looked like a diner didn't really capture what we were after. So I kind of took two pens and like, babe, just kind of look at how the creeks come together and two pens together. And I said to the designer, I work with this. So it stuck. Very cool. So the, I mean, just branding. Mm -hmm. Sometimes right. if you have a good brand, sometimes all you need is the logo, like Nike or Apple. You don't even right. have to put the words right. to it, which is kind of what we were after. Um, permanently displayed. <laughs> yeah. For the for the readers who for the listeners who can't see that uh, Jen just like exposed her sleeve and she has a tattoo on her, on her wrist. That's called being passionate about your logo, yes. right? And uh, matching tattoos. That's for right. It's our one of twin powers. <laughs> <laughs> so who becomes ice and who becomes the animals? <laughs> so between the two creeks, um, we also own eleven acres. It's too flat and too fertile to grow grapes. So we actually leave. That for hay and the neighbors take it for their horses. Of the ones that you've made here, do you have one that sticks out as like your all-time favorite one that you made? I have my least favorite. I, my favorite <laughs> based on sales, so it's <laughs> uh, my personal. My personal favorite though is uh, the Unoak Chardonnay, I, I would say, and also the uh, the Merlot. So. Merlot, mine nonsense. Nonsense, okay. Yeah, probably two thousand. 13 four dog and rose. Yeah, but I had one rose. Oh, that was one of the worst years. I think oh, no. I was cursing at her all the time. <laughs> <laughs> A labor I actually mind. personified her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Larry, and we had like a bunch of people like she's gonna turn around. I felt like I just kind of likened her to an angry teenager okay. that was gonna come around someday, and she did. She did. Patience. Patience. Which is a very hard thing for us to learn. Well, but, in the wine world, that's needed. It is honestly the biggest age. lesson we have learned in coming down here is patience and not on our own time. From farming to winemaking to everything. So patience has been a huge um, lesson learned. I kind of like stole our next question. That oh, was sorry. going to be, what have you learned over the time doing business? So <laughs> aside from patience, what else uh, What else may you have I, taken I think um, you can never predict too much. I mean, obviously you can't predict the weather. So on the vineyard side, unpredictable or undeterministic. I think even in sales, right? We could put a couple of good wines out that we believe right. is going to be the best, but the sales show it's not. Mm. So you have to kind of, you know, 
you have to go by what the customers really like in some cases. And, then and we that's very hard about what we to like. determine. Yeah, but it comes down to what the customers like. Yeah. I mean, some days, like a nice day like yesterday, um, you would expect that maybe the Chardonnay and Rosé, Chardonnay was, and then Four Dog. But in other days, if it's very cold, generally people will try to gravitate towards a red. Mm -hmm. Chardonnay, again, was the first one. But, mm, so you can't look. <laughs> yeah, but they're fickle. Um, but that's hard to forecast. I think the biggest lesson for anyone thinking about buying a vineyard and winery is think hard, do your research, and talk to as many owners as you can, because I think you're going to get very different perspectives. Good advice. Yeah. I think we always knew, I mean, we're, we're not averse to hard work. Um, it is very physical, which we like about it. I love that it's, you can wear different hats. So if I was only in an office job, that would be <laughs> super boring. Um, if I was only in the fields, that would probably be a little harder right. after time. But we have a lot of different facets. So we want to be outside and enjoy the day. We have in the vineyard, be in the winery. We really want, you know, being extroverted that day, we'll come in the tasting room. So there's, or we can just be online and doing website, Instagram. So there's a lot of different facets because it's, it's Ed and I. So we're wearing all those hats and doing all of those things. Um, and I think that probably was another lesson learned of how, like, we thought initially, we were going to have to do it, but we're still doing it. Okay. Because we also like it. Yes. So. It doesn't feel quite as much like work because you do yeah. enjoy it. Ask me in August. <laughs> right now, it feels great. Of course, there's all that pruning that. I know. That's why I'm looking at some more. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about music and how that plays here. You guys do a basically a lot of music every weekend. Mm -hmm. How does that, how does that fit into the what you're trying to create here, and how does that bring folks in and sure. interaction? Well, I think our biggest thing that we, again, going to the reason why we left New York and New Jersey, we wanted to create a life and an environment here of family, of kind of extension of ourselves. We love music. We would go to see it all the time in New York. So that, like bringing that kind of energy to the property, it already has a natural energy about it, but musical energy to us is very important. So when we first started, we thought maybe once a month we were going to have live music, but we liked it so much. <laughs> it started to be every weekend, and now we've set a precedence, which is great, mm -hmm. because we have just a very vibrant um, music scene here in Western North Carolina, so it's never a shortage of bands, and we've just become great friends with them, so it's really just an extension of everything that we wanted to do here in the beginning. So what types of music do you go with? Everything from reggae to classical guitar, right? I mean, okay. everything in between. Yeah. So whether it's, you know, gypsy jazz or bluegrass or country, we mix it up, right? In the winter times, when things are a little slower or the weather's not conducive, it'll be soloists, and then in the summer it'll be larger bands. And, you know, and another you know another part of it is too when you have the music and your pack and also on your we also have the food truck here, um, it makes people want to stay longer, right? I mean, it's, it's just you know it is a business, mm -hmm. so you have to look at it that way too. Um, yeah, give them a destination to come to, yeah, a destination to spend a day and yeah. you know, nice. enjoy yourselves. Yeah, very cool. So you mentioned the food truck. Let's talk about that for a little bit. Right up to the side of the tasting room, we have um, a food cart. I'm really not a truck anymore. Uh, Farm to Fork Eatery was the original uh, name of it. Betty 
Um, she, Betty's Ferry, she had come to us, she was a classmate, and she had come to us and said, I have this idea, and she didn't really have to talk much, but I'm like, yes, we need food. <laughs> it's just, well, well, we have cheese crackers and meats here, but her menu and everything about it, we love. So we, we braided off to the side, and, and she's been an excellent addition. Uh, Cuban paninis is what she was known for, but she just had um, a great menu. A lot of people are calling for specifically for her, so it was great. And by that, she was also an extension of us, like her personality and everything else. Unfortunately, she's recently retired. Uh, fortunately for her, I guess. Unfortunately. <laughs> but she has sold it to a great couple, Dylan and Heidi uh, Stockman. And it's Stockwell Kitchen now. So, similar menu. Uh, Dylan actually uh, was a chef and caterer. Uh, Heidi actually is also a chef, but she's a farmer by wow. trade. So she's going to be taking um, some of the garden space oh, cool. and growing a lot of her veggies. So she'll awesome. have some of that stuff outside. That's great. Like really yeah. hyper-local food that oh, you sure. can offer. Yeah, yeah. Like they're local, they're local definitely committed market. to all, all local ingredients. So. Yeah. Awesome. So they were, I mean, we could not have been um, more fortunate that, you know, to have them. And that they wanted to stay. They could have bought the cart and taken right. it away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah, that would not have been fun. But... They decided to stay, and again, you know, again to the energy, they definitely are also a reflection on us. I mean, they have the same kind of personality and energy and vibe that, you know, we want to encourage you. That's great. Yeah. So we've talked about... Do you all like to try it? Right, <laughs> yes, we're we it. So we've talked about wine, we've talked about food, we've talked about music, but we haven't talked about the view yet, really. So can, can we... Because for us, I don't think you can see it today, probably, but but that that kind of ties it all together. So talk about what people see when they look out of the tasting room. Uh, heaven. <laughs> uh, the South Mountain, uh, South Mountain, South Mountains, uh, rolling hills, different uh, peaks and valleys. It just the view never gets old. Mm -hmm. Uh, our bedroom window looks out at it, and it's, it never ceases to amaze us, um, the scenery. It changes daily, obviously every season, uh, even winter is beautiful. Spring is probably my favorite season, just because you can even hear the trees growing, but just to kind of see the little speckles of green, mm. falls gorgeous. But every morning, that, that fog kind of sits right in that valley, in different valleys. I mean, even the snow peaks, it kind of feels like you're in Colorado. Oh, wow. It's absolutely, it's amazing. And some of the, and I don't know if it's the position or not, maybe do research, but some of the most spectacular rainbows we've ever seen, ever. and double rainbows. Yeah. And I don't know if it's the angle of the sun coming from the west and hitting the mountains, but they're it really the most is. amazing. We're so, yeah, like we're so, um, I guess we've been here all the time, sometimes we take for granted, granted the view, but sometimes even when we're going to get the mail and walk up, I'm like, yeah. Really <laughs> and you've done a really good job preserving it with everything that you built here. So the taste room's graded out a little bit. There's a great open patio area. The pavilion, you've done a really great job with orienting it so you could see the view. So definitely one of the major draws is... Well, the, the other thing, too, is as we're putting up those and we have a few, the, the two other expansions that we plan is to make it fit in the environment mm -hmm. not make it stick out like a sore thumb, right? Want it to blend, even as you guys know, I'm, where the pavilion is, it's set down so it's not obvious from the road. The colors that were picked, you know, are pretty muted mm -hmm. against the, the terrain. 
So it's, uh, it was meant to be that way. Yeah. Yes. And I have to say, even when you're down there at the pavilion looking up at the tasting yeah. room, the tasting room kind of follows the same concepts. You're right. like looking up and it looks like it's part of the landscape. It's right. not sure. sticking out. It's right. just kind of yeah. very natural flow. Yeah. And I guess where it's situated, you can't even see the pavilion from the tasting room unless you're standing on the deck. Mm. So they do have their own separateness, wholeness and separateness at the same time. So one of the things that also kind of sets you apart as well is you participate in a wine trail that's very active. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about that. Well, when we first came down, uh, we met Larry, but some of our other new friendships were the other wineries in the area. And camaraderie, uh, South Creek Winery, so Jim and Mary, like James Sellers, Belmico Winery. Mm -hmm. So we just became friends with them. We were helping them with harvest and uh, their bottling and winemaking. So we have been friends for a very long time. And when we got together, we said, you know, we probably should have a, a wine hop, if you will. And we just kind of went through the details of it. It's now almost four years that we've been doing oh, wow. it. So Belmico, actually Bridget and Jenna just recently retired. So we've decided to kind of change it up a bit. So before it was all wineries, mm -hmm. and now we've added Micah Town Brewery in Marion. Oh, okay. So it's going to be corks and kegs. Nice. Well. And we've kind of mixed it up. So it's a South Creek Winery, us, Micah Town Brewery, and Lake James Cellars. So part of the hop, um, it's, you get a glass, a commemorative glass, and you go around to each one of us. And what we did the last couple of years is each hop has a different theme. This next one is a cheese. So each one of us has a different cheese that, or I guess food item made of cheese and paired with our wine. So each one of us will have something different. Uh, the next one will be very berry. And the one in September is you're making me hungry. Bacon. Oh. It's around bacon. Mm -hmm. Which you guys love. <laughs> and the last one is joy the chocolate. Awesome. So yeah, they've been very, very successful. Um, always on a Sunday. So every three, every four months, I should say. It's really been been great in terms of exposure. I would definitely encourage other wineries to do it. I know they do several in Yakin. I think the advantage for us is we're not very far from each other. Mm -hmm. So again, yeah. I was mentioning before, like some of these wineries are 20, 30 miles away from each other, which is kind of hard for a hop to do in one day. Right. Yeah. For us, we're probably like seven, seven miles from each other, if not closer. So really, really close by. Yeah. You can make a destination out of the whole area, yeah. spend a day, yeah. sample. Go to, go to dinner in Morganton, yeah. you know, whatever. Excellent. Yeah. $25, and you get the glass, the treats at each one of the wineries, and then at the end, once you get your final stamp, um, drawing for $25 gift certificate. So six years in, what's left the biggest impact on you? I would say, you know, when we get into a business, I've worked in corporate America, and I was you know, both, you know, pretty much our first businesses not knowing if you're going to be successful or not. And, uh, you know, I feel that we've been successful. We continue to try to figure out ways to improve and make it better for the customers, mm -hmm. whether it's through expansion or you know, other activities that we're looking to introduce. Um, so that's been the most exciting and the most interesting yeah. part of it, I think. But also, too, you know, moving from New York City, per se, and moving to Morganton, North Carolina, <laughs> that was, you know... Uh, but trying in the beginning, <laughs> but I can tell you right now, I, I would never leave here to go to New York City ever. I mean, not visit, not move back to New York City. Love the area, love Western North Carolina, the people, mm -hmm. you know. We couldn't go back. We go back for a couple of days. I'm like, we need to get Stress back. level goes right up. <laughs> well, for me, the biggest impact is probably the people, too. Uh, we have made all of our friends mostly through here. Tremendous people, great friends. 
that started out as customers and yeah. have become friends, which is great. Awesome. And that's exactly, I mean, we look back, it's exactly why we wanted to do it and why we moved. Building that life you're right. right, right. Yeah, definitely. So that's, that's been a huge impact on us. We didn't expect that. Actually, I mean, when we were in Asheville, uh, it was just the two of us. We didn't know anyone down here. So I'm like, am I ever going to have any friends? <laughs> <laughs> but, well, you know, once we came here, it's just, um, yeah, now it's, it's our lifeline. So what do you think the future holds for North Carolina wine? We are at a turning point, I believe. And we couldn't have seen that when we first came down here. But... When we first started, there were what, uh, 80 vineyards, 100 wineries? No, it's about 300 vineyards, 80 wineries. Now there's over 400 vineyards and like 180 wineries. And that's just been a tremendous amount of growth, which is great to see. And the overall tourism has increased, right? Yeah. We, we, you know, we're fortunately part of the chain of commerce and the tourism board here. You know, they keep giving you the numbers and all we see incrementally increasing every year. Mm. So from a business standpoint, that's wonderful news. For North Carolina, it's wonderful news. I think in many cases, I know, you know, you see Asheville shooting up and Charlotte and this constant construction going on. Um, and a lot of new people moving into this area that are either retired or just wanted to relocate because of the weather from, you know, Michigan and right. Florida and everywhere else. But I, I think for... The wine industry as a whole, uh, you'll see more and more people purchasing land or other vineyards. Mm -hmm. We saw that at the wine growers meeting, uh, and not only wineries, cideries, and distilleries, and breweries. But I think it's it's only going to get bigger. I would, um, in terms of the industry, I think there's probably going to be more to support it in terms of signage and grants like that. I mean, that could only help. I think the Fine Wine Society helps. And elevating the quality and exposure of North Carolina wine to the world, not in, not to only North Carolina. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's going to, I mean, we have a, a, quite a number of years before we're on the same level as even Virginia or the Finger Lakes. But we're definitely on the trajectory to do that. So any final words? Is there something that, you, that we haven't covered that you would like folks to know about Silver Fork and what to expect when they come to visit? No, I think you know, they're going to... They, Feel welcome here. Um, like you brought up before, John, the, you know, the view is spectacular with the addition of the music and, and the food truck. I think it's you know, definitely a great destination. I think on, on top of that, um, one of the things we didn't mention, one of the you mentioned music, but we also do the movies. Oh, yeah. And right. I think that's also a thing that people have kind of known us for. So we usually do three a year, June, July, and August, and it's around a theme. So this year it's uh, Feed Me, all food movies. <laughs> Uh, so Chef, Julie and Julia, and other foot journey. So that's just wonderful because, you know, after a Saturday, people are coming, bringing a picnic, they bring, um, they're sometimes kids, uh, they'll get some food, wine, and they make a night of it. So it's kind of almost extending our front yard, mm -hmm. and again, extension of us, but that's another thing that I think people also are coming here for. Well, Jennifer, Ed, we want to thank you very much for the time today. We appreciate you joining us for Cork Talk and definitely look forward to a lot more conversations in the future. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for what you guys do for you know, propagating the message of the wineries in the state. You guys are single-handedly <laughs> touting MC Wine, so keep it up. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you. That concludes our fourth episode of Cork Talk. 
Thanks again to Jennifer and Ed for hosting us. We look forward to future visits with them. And if you like this episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. This helps others find our podcast. And don't forget to follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NC Wine Guys. Until next time, and remember, a cork only talks when it's out of the bottle. Cheers! <laughs>